0: Welcome to Transparency with Diana B, a podcast from wealthmanagement.com focused on advisors' personal well being and healing. In this podcast, we explore some of the deepest struggles and hardships that many advisors face and bring these issues out into the open so that others may find healing. Join us for this journey where we explore ways to overcome the stresses and anxieties as Diana draws from years of expertise and guest experts to manage the personal challenges of advisors.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Transparency with Diana B, a podcast by WealthManagement.com. My name is Diana Britton, and I'm the managing editor of WealthManagement.com. For those of you who are new to the podcast, each episode focuses on a personal development issue facing financial advisors and financial services professionals. Guests join me to come and talk about their journey dealing with a struggle and how they found healing. Uh, I've been on a brief sabbatical during the fall, but I'm back and ready to dive back into the podcast. My guest today is Doug Douglas Dewar. He's the founder of Doer Financial Group in Montville, New Jersey. Doug, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you,
2: Diana. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So I got in touch with Doug through another podcast guest of mine, John Highland. He's the co founder of a Private Advisor Group and OSJ of LPL Financial who talked about his three-time battle with leukemia. And John is a well-known leader in the industry, but lesser known is his story. I'd encourage any listeners today to go check that one out as well. It's, it's a really powerful story. But Doug partners with Private Advisor Group as well, and that's how we got in touch. John thought his story should be heard as well. And you know a lot of people uh, have come on the podcast to share their stories of dealing with illnesses you know, uh, some scary stuff that, that a lot of them happened years ago, but Doug, your struggle is a little fresher than that. Um, you were diagnosed with lymphoma, a cancer of the lymphatic system in February of last year, right? Just, yeah, that, just, that's correct. Uh, this
2: past February. Yes.
1: Yeah. Just before COVID uh, sent us all into lockdown. Um, so tell us a little bit about what led up to the the diagnosis.
2: My diagnosis was a a little unique that it took quite a bit of time to finally be realized. i had been having some issues, some minor, more or less skin problems for about three or four years prior to my diagnosis. And I was going to a dermatologist for that entire time, uh, trying to deal with these issues. And no matter what she would try, things would not seem to improve or get better for me. And uh, we tried various things, different steroid creams, things along that nature. And she was baffled that nothing was getting better. Well, about um, three years prior to my diagnosis, I also started to notice that the lymph nodes in my neck started to get enlarged. Uh, one day I was mm-hmm. just shaving in the morning and I noticed they started to get bigger. I, I made an appointment with my primary care physician, went to see him about a week later. He kind of told me, I will keep an eye on it. It's nothing to be nervous about. You have bad allergies. It's probably just a reaction you're having. It's the summer. There's a lot of things out here." I didn't think much of it. Uh, and I was still trying to continue to deal with some of my skin issues. But uh, as time went on, I also pointed it out to my dermatologist. And she also noticed they were enlarged, too. And she kind of said the same thing. Let's let it be. And that kind of went on for about a year. Uh, at the same time, I was going for all my normal annual physicals, blood work, all that kind of stuff. And everything was coming back normal. Mm-hmm. And nothing was getting better on me. I wasn't improving. My lymph nodes were getting a little larger. And everybody kind of wasn't making that big of a deal. And it went on for... I said about three years. And finally, last January, I had gone back or was going back again to see my dermatologist. And she walked in the room, took a look at me, looked at my most recent blood work I brought in from a physical I had had two months earlier. It still showed nothing really in regards to that uh, as far as the lymphoma goes. And she just said, you know, stay here. I'm going to get information for you, but I really can't help you much more. And she came back in. Of course, I was scared for that five minutes. And she said to me, look, at, at this point... I think it's time you go back to an oncologist that she had referred me to the prior year that did some initial tests and nothing came up and said, I think you go and you get yourself finally have that bone marrow biopsy you don't want to do and nobody really wants to go through. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I had to wrap my head around it. I kind of knew it was coming and I agreed to it. And fortunately, we were able to get an appointment the next day basically have the test done. And within the next week, that initial oncologist gave me a call and said, you do have a form of lymphoma. You're coming in next week. Let's discuss this more and figure out treatment. So that's kind of how I was diagnosed after a long, long time of really having no answers.
1: Yeah. What does the, the bone marrow biopsy entail? I know a lot of people... Ask, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs>
2: it's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> um i could laugh about it now because i don't have one in my future <laughs> at least i hope not basically what it entails is they the oncologist will realistically stick a needle into i'm going to say about your hip area so right bo- mm. above your butt your lower back area mm-hmm. they, they do a good job of numbing you up and try to warn you that you're not going to feel anything uh, and i can tell you that the needle they place in you you don't feel till they hit the bone and they need break bone in order to get the bone marrow out. And oh that's God. not such a pleasant
1: experience. Oh God. According to the American Cancer Society, lymphoma is a cancer that starts in cells that are part of the body's immune system. Treatment sort of depends on what type you have. And, you know, we don't have to get into that. What were some of the biggest frustrations that you went through? Throughout the process of the doctors trying to figure out what was wrong, it, it sounds frustrating.
2: Well, I think the biggest frustrations overall were, again, having no answers for so long. I mean, because one of the things that was going on, too, over that three-year time period was, you know, I wasn't feeling great, I'll say, the last year before getting diagnosed. And it, it was really starting to take a toll on me. I, I was getting very tired. I Wasn't looking right, you know. My wife kept telling me, you know, there's something wrong, and I kept going to doctors, and they're saying, "Hey, there's nothing wrong with you." Hey, there's nothing wrong with you. And you know, quite honestly, that's what you want to hear. So when somebody tells you that, you're you're happy to hear it. But even I'd say by about the fall, I realized something was getting worse. I mean, some of the things, getting these, I'll almost say lesions, or they looked like giant pimples on my face that weren't going away. I was, like I said, completely exhausted and having some other issues, and was losing weight. And that's when I realized there was really something wrong because I was eating and eating quite a lot and things that I wouldn't normally eat on a daily basis. I was having ice cream every day. I was making sure I had dessert. I made sure I'd have big meals. And guess what? I was still losing weight. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of when I realized, okay, there's definitely something else going on here. I mean, this just isn't normal. So I think some of the frustration also goes that when I would start to see some of the specialists, Some of the doctors would have answers for me before they even physically saw me, which again, would kind of get frustrating. I saw an allergist. I want to say it was uh, late August or early September, a couple of months before I was diagnosed. And literally before I even sat in the chair, he looked at me and said, I've gone through all your medical reports and all the doctors you've seen in the last few years. And I don't know what you're doing. You're a healthy man. I'd stop going to doctors.
1: (laughs) And that can get kind of frustrating. Yeah, I mean, especially given how wrong they he well, was. Yeah,
2: I mean, and, you know, I, I'll give you another one where it wasn't a specialist. I mean, I was trying everything you can imagine. By my house that last fall, I want to say again, it was October-ish. I was getting, again, the lesions and things on my face, and they were really frustrating me. And I just said to my wife, there's one of these medics centers opened up about a week or so ago. I'm going to go there and see a doctor on a Saturday that's never seen me, doesn't know me, doesn't have a clue about me, so I get a fresh look. So we all thought that was a great idea. I went in on Saturday, nobody there. I go sit in the exam room and nobody's coming in. It's about an hour. My wife's texting me. Is it busy? What's going on? I go, there's nobody here. I don't understand this. Finally, the doctor walks in, very nice man, but says to me, I've spent the last hour reading all your reports because they had access to all my health records. And I just Mm -hmm. literally put my head in my hands and went, I didn't want you to look at anything. I wanted you to see me. Yeah. And he came in and he looked at me and he said, based on everything I see, I don't see anything. And he told me, why don't you try washing your face with a vena? I mean, that was the advice I was getting.
1: <laughs> so it's very frustrating to hear that. Well, tell us about the treatment that you underwent once you got the di- diagnosis.
2: After I got the initial diagnosis, and, and that took a little more detail as well, even after the bone marrow biopsy, I had to have a, a very minor surgical procedure, to have lymph nodes removed. They could, because, again, even from the bone marrow, they wanted to be absolutely sure on the type of I had for treatment plans. Once they were able to confirm all of that, they determined that the best rounds of treatment would be for me to have six different rounds of chemo. They were kind of two session processes. So one, three and five ended up being basically an eight-hour day in a cancer center where I've got various chemotherapy drugs as well as immunotherapy drugs. I go home that night. Rounds two, four, and six entailed first day in the cancer center for certain chemo, uh, different drugs. So, and then day t- uh, two and three would be in a hospital. So I'd have to stay in a hospital over a uh, 48-hour time period, basically because I had to get infusions that were given to me every 12 hours. You'd get an infusion, it would last three or four hours, you'd get a break for eight hours, then they'd start it up again. So this went on for a two-day process. That process of the six rounds of chemotherapy lasted about four months or so. It started in April and ended up ending right around the beginning of August or so. Then at that point, I would say I got about a two or three b- week break where I didn't have to go through any chemotherapy. But in that time period, I had to give myself a couple of shots every day for about 10 days, to going and having stem cells removed from my blood to go for a stem cell transplant.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: After those cells were removed about the third week or so in August, I had about another week where I got to go home and stay home for a little bit. Then I was admitted to the hospital. For roughly about three weeks when I went through another strong round of chemotherapy for six days, and I had the stem cells they removed from me, put back into my body, and literally I just had to recover from the entire process at that point because you're extremely susceptible to getting infections and other problems from uh, your very compromised immune system.
1: Where, where do things stand now? You Are you in remission?
2: Yeah. Happily, I could say I'd been in remission from about my fourth round of chemotherapy. Right around then, they had to do another bone marrow biopsy and everything came. I had very few, if any, cancer cells at that point in time. So I was declared in remission then. And I still had other rounds of chemotherapy to go through, which would have killed any remaining or lingering cells. So that was a good thing. And then after the additional chemotherapy I received in the hospital from the stem cell transplant, that would confirm it as well. Since then, I've had a couple other scans and tests and no cancer shows. So I'm I'm in remission at this point, which is a great thing. And really, right now, it's just somewhat of maintenance. And given that I had a stem cell transplant, I've got to get my childhood vaccines again. And that happens roughly over about the next two years or so.
1: You've been through quite the ordeal in the last year. During this whole time, you've been managing your practice and keeping your business going. I mean, how did you manage that over over the last year?
2: Well... It's definitely been a challenge at times, um, but one of the good things is it, it, I, I joke with people and say COVID's been a horrible thing for the world, but actually for me in the last year, it probably helped me in certain ways. You know, people went into lockdown, things kind of slowed down a little bit, and that gave me time to kind of organize some things in my practice, get things done, get ahead of things, and that's exactly what I did. I mean, I would just plan ahead. I knew when my chemotherapy treatments would be, and I would plan work around it. I mean, I'm I told. Pretty much 95% of my clients, what I was going through at some point. I mean, there were mm-hmm. definitely uh, times when I didn't tell somebody either because of certain things they were going on in their life, or I just couldn't have that conversation today. I mean, there are times when I would have to tell the same story about being ill and not feeling good at the same time, three, four times in a day. And people are concerned. They want to know more. They want to know details. And there just comes days where you just don't want to talk about it the easiest way I can put it. You just don't want to discuss it anymore. There were times when I kind of strung that out. I'd have clients where I was doing things for, and I didn't tell them I was ill for three, four months into treatment. They'd tell me, well, when are you going to start treatment? I'd say, I've only got another round of chemotherapy left. I'm at this point. And they were shocked that I was still working and doing things with them for that entire period of time. But that's kind of what kept me sane. I mean, that's what keeps me, kept me going during that time frame. I wanted to be as normal as I possibly could. Now, now that's questionable how normal life was, but I did my best to do that.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I guess during that time, most advisors were working from home anyways and out of sight, Correct. out of mind, right? You Correct. Know, seeing them in person. Correct. What about, I know you had a tax practice and you had to you know, sort of offload some of those CPA clients that you had.
2: Yeah, so as, as far as that goes, I did I do still have a tax practice. It's definitely gotten quite a bit smaller than it was a year ago at this point in time when I wasn't diagnosed. Pretty much as soon as I was diagnosed, when I met with that initial oncologist, that was my first question. What is treatment going to look like? What am I going to look at as far as work? Will I be able to do this? And at that point, he said to me, look, I I know you own your own business. I don't want to tell you what to do or what not to do. But I I was reading the handwriting on the wall that there was no way I was going to be able to work normally. So I, I kind of took a step back and I said to him, you gave me the answer. I, I didn't think you were going to give me do this or do that. So I, I've kind of been thinking about this for the last week. And I literally went in the next day and I took a look at all my clients that I had. And I kind of separated them into ones where they were tax clients as well as wealth management clients. And they were all on the keep and stay with. And then I had clients where I only did tax preparation for. And I literally... Went and looked, had friends in the industry that were CPAs, called up a couple of my CPA friends, told them what I was going through and said, could you take on some clients at this point? They all said yes. And I pretty much split them evenly among about three different practitioners. Then I made a bunch of phone calls and emails that next week and just said, look, I'm going to be very honest with you. Here's what I was just diagnosed with. I Mm -hmm. cannot continue to work the way I am. Luckily, it's still only, let's say, mid-February. I did find you somebody else you could use. You could certainly find another CPA if you'd like, but I don't want to leave you in a lurch. And here's who I would recommend. And I think nine out of 10 actually went with my recommendations from what I can tell, uh, which is a good thing because you know you still want to take care of people. We're in a service business. I didn't want to just leave people flat. If I uh, had an opportunity to at least help them out as best as I possibly could.
1: Sure. And I, I bet private advisor group stepped in and helped you as well. You know, that was that was a
2: huge help. Again, knowing John's story, knowing what he had gone through. And it was very similar to myself as far as John was one of the first people I reached out to. I gave him a call and he kind of laughed because I just said I needed to talk to you about something for work. Didn't explain what it was. And that was, again, beginning of COVID and all that. And it took him a couple of weeks to get back to me. And then when he got back to me and I told him what it was, he said, you know, you should have said that. And I it's not me. I don't ever like to focus on myself. He got back to me. He basically said, we're here to help you for whatever you need. And that's basically how it worked. I wasn't at all surprised by that because uh, having worked with private advisor group for a number of years at this point now, they're just such a class act. They're always there to help their advisors and whatever they need that I was not surprised at all that John said, whatever I needed, they'd be willing to help. And, And it was just, again, just a huge load off my back knowing that I could rely on them for anything.
1: Doug, as you were undergoing treatment, it's uh, one of the hardest things I'm sure you've ever had to go through in your life. What were some of the things that were going through your head? How are you feeling during that time? I mean,
2: obviously, you're scared about the, the one thing you don't want to think about, and that's not being here. Right. I mean, that takes some time to wrap your head around. And As much as I was positive, as positive as you could be through the whole treatment process, I'd be lying if I didn't say that doesn't go through your head, especially when you're sitting in a chemotherapy session for eight hours and you're looking at other individuals going through very similar processes. It's a very scary situation. You're sitting in a, in a hospital for two days by yourself because during this whole process, my wife was only able to come to maybe about half the doctor's appointments and was never able to come when I had a hospital say or when I got any type of infusion. She would literally drop me at the door If I didn't drive myself and I'd give her a call or text her and say, I'll be ready in about an hour, come back and pick me up. You get a lot of time to yourself. And when you're not in the best places at times, your mind will get you in some pretty dark places. And you just, you just have to try and find a way to fight through it. Luckily, I'm a very faithful individual. I'm a devout Catholic and I had a very strong faith that I would get through this. And I prayed a lot. And, you know, luckily I could say that was the case.
1: Was that because of COVID that you couldn't be with your wife during that time? or?
2: Yeah, it was all because of COVID. I mean, and again, that was one of the very frustrating things in regards to COVID. I, I mean, you'd go in and meet with a doctor and they tell you what the next treatment plan would be. And it'd be, well, we're going to do this, this and this. And they'd explain it and they'd go, well, but because of COVID. And you're like, well, what do you mean because of COVID? Say, oh, your wife can't come with you. or because of COVID, you can't do this. So. For instance, when I had my hospital stay for the stem cell transplant, most individuals that go through that, depending upon how they do the process and what your treatment looks like, you may have a short hospital stay, and then you may be able to stay at off-site housing, which I, my understanding is it's very close to the hospital. I didn't get to see it, because as they were explaining this to me, they go, well, because of COVID, and I literally stopped the doctor, because at this point, I was about six months into treatment, and I said, look, I'm going in in a month is any of this going to change? And they said, no. I said, so don't tell me what normally goes on. What has to go on for me? And that's when they said, you're going to have to stay in the hospital for the entire time, no visitors, no guests, and just Mm. deal with this. Difficult, but you know, like anything, I kind of knew it and I've learned, I've gotten a little better at this this last year. I just, tell me something and I'll get through it. I'm not going to be happy that day or that minute you tell it to me, but if you give me I'll say a night to sleep on it. I'll be able to wrap my head around it, buck up and just get through it. And that's just all I did throughout the whole process. I'll, I'll just somehow I'll find the strength and be able to do it.
1: I know that you uh, you met another gentleman who was going through treatment at the time. It didn't, didn't work out well for him.
2: No, I mean, I met, um, so when, when I was in the hospital, every once in a while, I would, I would joke. I, I said it was like being in prison, except more like solitary because you really weren't supposed to leave your room. Out of three weeks, I was allowed outside twice where they would bring us to this little rooftop deck area. One of the two days, we were outside for about an hour and a half. I ended up making friends with another individual who was there. He was going for his second stem cell transplant. He had had one a couple of years ago and he lived about a town over from me. So we had a lot of things in common. We just kind of hit it off and we were doing pretty well. And I was going to reach out to him in a couple of months after we were both out of the hospital and again improving. at at that point, that's the way things were going to go. My wife one day about, I'd say probably about the end of October says to me, didn't you meet? And she mentions the man's name in the hospital. And I said, yeah, that's, that's him. She said, well, um, I hate to tell you I'm reading his obituary. And it just, Mm. at that point I was, I was on a high, I was doing really good. I was improving. I was feeling better. I still had to go through some tests saying I beat this. Everything's great. I was feeling great. To have one individual that I became friendly with and he didn't make it, it really just knocked me for a loop at that point. It just, you know, it scares you again.
1: You mentioned to me that being a financial planner helped you in a lot of ways to get through this time. How did, how did it help you? When did the planner sort of kick in?
2: I think the planner always kicked in. I mean, I think from the get-go, almost from day one. I mean, mm-hmm. even before I was diagnosed and I was always concerned about things, You know, I'd I'd be lining up things in my office. Well, here's different things my wife would need to know about should something happen to me. Mm -hmm. Here's other things. Contact if there was a problem here. Here's things work-related-wise where I can plan out. I know this is going to come in in March. This will happen in April. I have somebody retiring in June. And I was just lining things up and just kind of planning out more or less, especially when I realized I could work to some extent over this time period. What can I do when? And I would reach out to people to say, hey, we could talk, you know, two weeks from now. It's not much different than what you would do now, but I was much more organized because I knew my time was very critical as far as I don't have treatment this week, or this is a week before treatment. So I'm gonna be the strongest I will be. So I'll be able to put in a little more time and be able to work on this for you. Or we can't even work on this till July. So let's not worry about it yet realize I've got it on, you know, it's on my list of things to do. I'll reach out to you at this point and we'll get it done. So, I mean, I think that was just a huge help to me in how I got through this and how I got through everything work-wise.
1: Do you have any advice for other folks who, you know, might be battling serious illness like this or, you know, have loved ones who are dealing with something similar?
2: Well, I think my first bit of advice would be this. If You feel that something's not right and you've given it some of the normal routes of you've seen your doctor, you've had the annual physical, sometimes push them forward to find out a little more because again, doctors see a lot of patients and they make a lot of assumptions sometimes before they even physically see you. I saw that happen a lot to me. So if you know you're not feeling well and it's been too long and you're not improving or you see a loved one and that's the case and something's just not right, push the doctor. They don't like being pushed. They don't like being told they're not right. Something I've certainly learned. But you need to do that in order to come down and realize what's wrong with you to try and get an answer. And then at that point, you know, get the best medical care you can go around, go get other consults and diagnosis after you know what's wrong with you. I mean, I saw a couple of oncologists before we decided on the one that I went with. Mm-hmm. We got similar advice from all of them, and then we just made a decision that was best for us and my family. I'm in the New Jersey area. Uh, We did meet with uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering and we decided to not go with them because they have a facility in New Jersey. Then they also said, well, you know, there'll be things once in a while where you'll have to come to New York City. And we were contemplating that. And literally one of the first tests they needed me to do, they said, well, you're going to have to come to New York City. And this was at the beginning of COVID. Mm -hmm. I looked at my wife and I said, okay, we're done. We're not choosing them because if, if the first test was going to be in New York City. I realized there's there's no way that there'll be a lot more tests than they are really telling me up front That'll have to be in New York City, and things will have to be there. And I just didn't want to have that longer commute. I didn't want to go into Manhattan if unnecessary, and it just didn't seem to make sense to choose that, that path and use those options.
1: Yeah, that, that's understandable. Well, I hope you know. I hope that you're able to get the vaccine soon. You know, I do with- too,
2: even though I still don't know anything about timing on that. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm afraid we're just about out of time. I, I want to thank my guest, Douglas Dewar. Doug, thank you so much for being on the podcast and just being so vulnerable about the last year that you've been through. It's, uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you're doing well. Thank you. Getting through it. If you'd like to reach out to Doug, you can reach him at dpduer, uh D-U-E-R-R at doerfinancial.com do and we'll also put this information in the in the show notes if you yourself have a struggle and you wish to share your experiences and help others in similar situations please feel free to reach out to me at b at gmail.com i'd like to thank you for listening to transparency with diana b if you have not subscribed to the podcast yet please click the subscribe now button below This is Diana Britton reminding you that where there's healing, there's hope. We'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Transparency with Diana B podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthManagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your healthcare provider with any questions you have regarding your particular situation.